this morning, and uh, glad that you're with us. Um, I really mean that. I, I am inspired by what happens here on the weekend and, uh, and watching the interaction. I love when the service ends, that church didn't end, that uh, you guys are just hanging out with one another and, and uh, ministering to one another and just being a blessing to one another. It's pretty, pretty great. For those who are listening online, you get to hear me talk, but you miss out on some of the best stuff, and that's hanging out with these amazing people. So you should show up sometime if you're listening. All right, so last week, Last week, we asked a few questions, three questions, in relation to your work. Uh, we were talking about work being meaningful, and in order to help find, find that out, or if it is, or figure out how it can be, it was these questions. What am I doing? Uh, why am I doing it? And who am I doing it for? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Who am I doing it for? I hope you had a chance to ask yourself those questions as you went, went to work this week. And it got me thinking. It reminded me of some things. Uh, something to, uh, a little down the road, but reminders are super helpful. You know, like um, uh, Siri is awesome for that. You can just tell her, you know, hey, Siri, remind me to pick up coffee for Beth on the way home. Uh, and so I did that the other, the other week, and then I got to my house, and now Siri doesn't allow you to get notifications while you're driving. So I got home, and then it was like, pick up coffee for Beth. I'm like, oh, you know, oh, that, but great, great, simple reminder. Then there's daily reminders, and maybe each of you, you know, has this daily reminder to wake up on time. Uh, that's what this is for. Then you have lifelong reminders, and I forgot again, but the wedding ring. The wedding ring is a lifelong reminder. Um, it's not a reminder that you're married. If you need to be reminded by a ring that you're married, you have bigger problems. But the, um, it's a reminder of the promises that you made to somebody, that those promises were forever. As long as the ring is, is eternal, so are the promises that you made, and not to break those promises. And then there's some healthy reminders here for you this morning. Uh, I just would like to remind you that we have hand sanitizer uh, in the front entrance and also downstairs, and to please use that. I'd also remind you to, to uh, use the cold and flu handshake, which is this one, right, or a fist bump that doesn't touch, Um, because last year, last year when it came to the whole cold and flu, I felt like Mr. T. You know, I was like, you know, I pity the flu that tried to get in my body, right, and I would shake everybody's hand, and I didn't care, uh, and it was fine, but this year, I feel way more like this guy, and I'm just like, uh, no more sick, so... You know, talk to me, but don't touch me. You don't. You don't want what I what I got. So, um, good reminders, but none as important as this last reminder. The reminder of our mission as a church is something that just continually comes back to me, and I need to be reminded of it. Mission Impossible Six is coming out. Uh, it's called it's called Fallout. It's coming out this summer. It was supposed to come out earlier, but Tom busted his leg, uh, busted his ankle, uh, falling out of his wheelchair or something else. Whatever, whatever his stunt was. But you can actually watch the video. I was going to post it, but I didn't know if people's stomachs could handle that this morning. But it was mission delayed, uh, and so it's coming out in in, uh, in July. You can watch. You know, it's amazing, amazing. You know how these impossible missions are possible. But it reminds me of like the greatest mission that we've been given. That's something that. That as a church, we're not just here to just hang out somewhere on Sundays. We've been given a mission, something that to, to uh, cause our focus and our attention and our effort to be surrounded by. And, and the mission didn't come from a pastor. It came from Jesus, Jesus himself. Um, Matthew wrote it down, and here's what, here's what the mission of, of the church as a whole is. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said to his disciples just before he left the planet, he said, therefore... Go and make disciples. That's what I want you to do. Go, make more disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
and in verse 20, teach these new disciples. Go make disciples and teach new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's basically saying, be a disciple and go make more disciples. And that's very different than be a Christian. We have lots of people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian because I go to church on Sunday. But it doesn't affect the rest of your life. When he says be a disciple, and you're like, well, what's a disciple? A disciple is someone who actually listens to what Jesus said. They, they check out and say, okay, if I'm going to follow this guy, I got to know what he's saying. And so they, they listen to what Jesus said, and they do what Jesus told them to do. That's, that's what a disciple is. Anything else isn't a disciple. Even if you say, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I was baptized Anglican, or I was baptized Presbyterian. He's like, I don't want that. I want followers. I want people who are going to be like me uh, on this planet. And so he says, that's the mission. That's the mission of the church. Be disciples and make disciples. And this morning, uh, as, I was, as I was getting ready for this this week, um, I really wished that I could just sit across like uh, Tim Horton's table with you, with each and every single one of you. That's how I feel about this message. I just wish I could, you know, I was going to put a table here and a Tim Horton's coffee and just make a whole bunch of you jealous, right? Um, but it, it just, it wouldn't have the same effect. But really, I would just love if I could just sit and share this from my heart about what goes on in here for this thing called church. Because when I think about church and the reason we we started Kingsway and like, well, why do we need another church? Here's why we think we needed another church is because when you mention the word church in Canada, most Canadians' response is this. It's like, oh, church, really? Like, Boring, you know, irrelevant, like hypocritical, judgmental. I, I don't want anything to do with church. When you talk to friends who, you know, may, maybe it's friends, family, or, or, or co-workers, and you're like, hey, you know, we want to go to church. Oh, we don't talk about religion or politics. And so as we thought about that, we realized, too, that numbers of young people grow up in church and then leave church. They, they endure church, and then they leave, and we're like, Beth and I, we talked about it lots of times. That, that's heartbreaking for us as a, uh, as a couple to see. And, and, and we thought, you know what? There should be something different. That's not what, what church should be like. And we wanted, we, our hope was that we could redefine what people, when they hear the word church, would redefine uh, what their thoughts that came to mind were as a result. And so I was reminded of a leadership class that I, that I was in where Andy Stanley shared the following questions. And it's actually what inspired the questions last week. The questions he said, you can ask any business, any group, any cause that you're a part of. These questions, what are we doing? Um, Why are we doing it? And where do I fit in? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And where do I fit in? Um, The reason why it's so important to be reminded of stuff like that, because the, the words are up there is, what are we doing? As a church, as Kingsway, as part of this, we feel it really important is that we are doing something. Um, if you do something long enough, you can sometimes be tempted to forget um, why you're doing it or what you're doing. Your mind wanders, right? Some of you, it's already wandered. We'll just bring it right back. I'll tell you a few stories. So for back in the day, I, uh, I worked at a, uh, at a uh, hinge company. It made hinges for cars. Uh, and they had these machines, and it was terribly boring work. You'd stand there, you'd take one piece from here and one piece from here, you stick them together in this machine, and then you had to put your hand on these two red buttons and push them and hold them at the same time, and then this massive thing would come down and 
boom, stamp out this little car hinge. And um, I was always asking, you know, like, why both buttons? And they said, because people, if they don't have both hands, will leave hands in there while they're working to try and speed up the process. I'm like, yeah, but you think, and they're like, yeah, we know, but you have to have two buttons. Why? Because if you do something long enough, you begin to forget that, oh, you know what you're doing. And it's like, yeah, it might, it might cost you a little bit, but how many of you have heard the stories of people who forgot to blow out a candle and, and then the house burns down? You know, it costs a lot. And then I was, uh, found this story in 1988. There's a guy named Ivan McGuire. He's a videographer, and he was um, video- doing video for skydiving jumps. And so you would jump, and he would videotape that. And so Ivan uh, had done a number of these jumps, and uh, he was getting ready to go one day. And as he got to the plane, his, vi- his camera wasn't working properly. And it was back in 1988. These big, big VHS cameras and the packs and everything, right? And so he... Uh, he took his camera and he hopped in the plane. He grabbed his parachute, threw it in the plane. And his plan was that he would put the parachute on on the way up. But then as he got to the top and the jump happened, the jumper went and Ivan jumped out to videotape. And halfway down, you see on the video where he realizes he doesn't have a parachute. It cost him his life. You know, sometimes forgetting something can be that costly. And I believe it's that costly when it comes to this thing called church. If we forget what we're doing, there are lives at stake as a result. And so I want to look at three questions today, along with some verses from a guy named Matthew. A guy named Matthew, not that Matthew, sorry ladies, this this Matthew. Um, A guy named Matthew who um, was an eyewitness. He hung out with Jesus. He walked and talked with Jesus. He listened to what Jesus said, and he wrote stuff down that they thought would be important. And he, as as he wrote things down, uh, and, and they did life together, then he watched Jesus die. And Jesus died on a cross And they thought, man, game over. I guess he was just a nice guy. But then three days later, he rises from the dead. And they're like, okay, he's, nobody does that. This is not just another normal guy. He's got to be something else. He's got to be who he said he was. And I believe that he was the Messiah. He was the son of God. He was the savior they'd been waiting for. And so he began to write furiously to to the Jews uh, in that area saying, it's him. The, The Messiah you've been waiting for, it's Jesus. And here's story after story after story of proof. And um, what Matthew writes is in the middle, you find out Matthew's um, background, and most people wouldn't really have taken Matthew's account for much because he was somebody that people really looked down on. Matthew was a tax collector, uh, and in our days, we don't like them any, any better today than they did back then, right? But the tax collectors back then were way worse than, than even today. They were treated as the people who were um, traitors. They, they, they sold their souls to Rome. They would collect taxes from their own people. They would skim off the top, So they would charge their own countrymen more and then they would give the money to Rome. And so people hated tax collectors. They would even say when they saw groups of people where there's the tax collectors and the sinners because sinners was too good of a word for tax collectors. They were just that bad. This is Matthew. This is the man who wrote this. And Matthew, when he wrote this, which was really, really interesting, is that in this time period, there wasn't a whole lot of, of um, literature. That was, it was difficult to write things down. It was expensive. But Matthew's letter, he wrote it, and as people read it, and they read the account of Jesus, they're like, man, we got to have this. And so they began to copy it and copy it and copy it hundreds and hundreds and thousands of times. So it was all over the place, and which is amazing for us is that we can go back and find hundreds of those copies and piece them together and realize that what Matthew wrote, and based on all the copies throughout time, that we have pretty pretty close to exactly what Matthew wrote in our hands today if you're holding a Bible. Do you realize if you're holding a Bible today, you're reading something that's 2,000 years old, and that's pretty incredible, but more incredible is what he says. And so I want you to join with me as we 
And so we read, if you can turn to Matthew chapter 16, you can, <coughs> excuse me, you can check it out on your app or in a paper Bible, whatever you have. Matthew 16, verse 13 says this, or you can read on the screen. Um, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question. So who do you say that the Son of Man is? Caesarea Philippi, it's a pretty interesting thing because Caesarea Philippi was a very famous place back then. It, you can still go there today. But the Romans found this, this place in, in Caesarea Philippi. It's named after Caesar. And uh, the, there was this massive hill. And in the hill, there was this tunnel that a river was running into. And the river, whatever went in that river, never came back out. And so they assumed that that is the gates to hell. If you go in there, you don't come back. And so they thought, well, we better worship this. And so they built three temples on that, on that hill to the god Pan, uh, which was a Roman god. And so Jesus is, just picture, walking with his disciples into Caesarea Philippi by these temples and by this um, place that they call the gates of hell. And he, uh, he, he starts asking people, he's like, hey, who do people say that I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, because they knew that Herod felt that way. Some say that he's Elijah. Some say Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. Then he asked them this question, and I believe he asked us each and every one of us, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? It's a really important question. And Simon Peter, because he's usually the first one to talk, says, hey, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn that from any human being. You knew that from inside because of him. He says, now I say to you that you're Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Just remember those words for a minute. And he says, because they had never heard about church before. They had never heard anything. And he says, and all the powers of hell, and he uses the word, the gates of hell, will not conquer it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. That thought, there's different translations of that, but it's basically the same thing of saying whatever, whatever has happened in heaven can happen here on earth. Whatever happens on earth has already happened in heaven. It's why the Lord's prayer was like, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is what they would pray. But he said, hey, as we're walking, he sees these three temples. He's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my, my church. And that's why when we talk about church, what are we doing here? As we answer the question, what are we doing at Kingsway? I just want to put it up on the screen so you know what we're doing here as, at Kingsway. We want to build a healthy, life-giving church that unchurched people want to become a part of. Maybe you just said, I just come here on Sundays and, you know, it's fun. But this is what we're doing. When we get together, we want to, not just Sundays, Saturdays, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, we want to build a healthy, life-giving church that unchurched people want to become a part of. Why? Because that's what Jesus is doing. He's building the church, and we want to build, do, what he, do what he's doing, build what he's building. And so when he said, I'm building a church, he didn't mean a building. So never think of this as church. He said, I'm building a gathering of called out people, people that I called out and said, hey, come follow me. And they're like, okay, we'll come follow you. And then they would gather in these groups and and do life together. Uh, and it wasn't this thing of, uh, of being like a, a service or traditions or a new religion. That's not what Jesus came. He didn't come to start Christianity. He came to start this thing called a, a, an ecclesia, a gathering of people, which maybe you're part of this morning. Um, these gatherings would meet all over the place. And being in, in Israel, they had different spots where they could meet. But they, they met outside in a field, outside on a hill. You, see, you read all that stuff. They didn't really meet in buildings. But as the gospel spread to Europe and to, to other places that are cold, 
all of a sudden they realize we need to have buildings if we're going to meet. And so they build these buildings and be like, well, you know, this is where the church meets. Let's build something fancy. And then all of a sudden the eyes began to turn off of the group of people and onto this building and uh, away from the gathering of, the, of, the, of people and into something different. But Jesus started a gathering of people and gatherings of people who are Jesus' followers. So this morning, there's followers of Jesus gathering all over the place. And so when I think about some things and I think about the mission, I can tell you one thing that kind of hurts me, breaks my heart a bit, is when I hear people talk or bash other churches in our area. Because you're going against the mission of what Jesus said. Well, those places, they don't do do it right. Neither do we. But we're gatherers of Jesus' followers. That's what, that's what that's all about. And to realize that as we, as we gather, his mission was to build the kingdom, not to build Kingsway. And we, not, not the same for us either, is that we desire to build his kingdom, the church, a healthy, life-giving group of people. Because there are some life-sucking people out there too. You know, you know them. They call you the same stuff all the time. It's like they just drain you. That's not what the church was meant to be. It was meant to be that people who came into contact with the church would be like, whoa, those people have something that, that I want. And that's what we, what we desire to see is that a healthy, life-giving church would be built here uh, and that unchurched people would want to become a part of it. And maybe if you're an unchurched person this morning, you know, you don't really do the church thing, but you came this morning, like, this is kind of weird that they're talking about me. You're the reason that we exist. What are we doing is building a healthy, life-giving church. Why are we doing it? Why do we do church this way? What is our hope? Our hope is that unchurched people would want to become a part of it. Not become a part of Kingsway, want to become a part of his family. That's the whole reason why we do things the way we do them. Maybe your experience with church has been more related to guilt and fear. You know, back in the day, if you wanted to get people to join church, those were the two best weapons to use, guilt and fear. For instance, maybe you saw the heaven's gates and hell's flames, or you know, you saw the hellfire and brimstone preacher, you know, turn or burn type stuff, and people are like, okay, I don't want to burn, I'll, I'll die, I don't want to go to hell, I'll, I'll, be, I'll join the church, I'll do whatever, right? But it's this whole fear-based mentality. Maybe that's how you came in. And so for, for you, you still have this unhealthy fear of the Lord. Like you just think he's just going to do bad stuff to you all the time. And as long as you just don't step out of line, he's not going to send you to hell. That's your kind of relationship with Heavenly Father as a result. Or maybe it was the other side where it was guilt, where it's like that thought of, you know, you're dirty, rotten sinners. You know, you, you got to make up for the bad stuff you've done. And so you're like, okay, I'll, I'll go to church. And like, that's not enough. You need to give in the offering. Okay, I'll, I'll give in the offering. You need to give more in the offering. Okay, you know, and, and trying to make up for that guilt feeling on the inside. Do you know, as I read the New Testament and I read the life of Jesus, I don't see him doing that. I don't see him walking around trying to scare people into following him, you know, or trying to guilt people into following him. I I just don't see it. What I do see is that he came with good news, good news, that following him was something good. And he would just invite people to say, hey, if anyone wants to be my disciple, come follow me. Anybody here this morning want to be his disciple? Come, follow me, he says. And it's the good news. The good news is that he said, but people can be forgiven. The people can be free." The people can be loved. The people can be in connection with one another and with their Heavenly Father and that people can know their Heavenly Father. All those things, as people who would hear that message would think, what I'm living now doesn't sound as good as that. Yeah, I think I want to follow Jesus. I'm not sure what's all involved, but that sounds better than what I have. That, That sounds like good news for someone like me. And that's why he came. And Jesus would say, you know, for those who are looking for life, 
You know, you just, you want your life to be exciting. So you like, you know, you party as hard as you can because, you know, you want to have fun in life. You know, or you like, you hook up with him and her and whoever else because you want your, you want excitement in your relationships and you want life to be full of these great experiences and, and you ch- or you chase down the job or the money or whatever it is so that you might, life might mean something. Life might be exciting. Life might be fun. You know what Jesus said? John 10, 10, he said, you know what? The, the whole reason I came is that people would have life, that they would have life and have it abundantly. He said, I, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Like if people would just see me, they would see that life. And it's how John described him. In John chapter 1, verse 4, he says that Jesus was the, the light of the world, that he was the light of men, and, the, and the, the, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, that as, as he was on the planet walking around, people looked at him like, wow, that is what that's what life should be like, and they would follow him. Like, you know, like just swarming around light. And he says the same thing to you this morning, to all of those of you who are seeking life, and you're, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to control all the things in your life to make it fun, exciting, matter, purposeful, meaningful. He says you can find, you know, that fulfilled purpose in him, that life after life. Maybe that's something you're thinking about. You know, what happens after this? He says, you know what, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. So Matthew, going back to Matthew, he writes this down shortly after that Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, if any of you wants to be my follower, he says, you must give up your own way. You got to leave some stuff behind. But he says, it's worth it. Take up your cross and follow me. Maybe you've heard different teaching on that. But the idea behind this thought is that He's saying, I have good, good news for you. you. You can stay if, with, with whatever you're doing, but if you want life, come follow me. Do you know we have unchurched people all throughout our community that are trying to do life their own way, and it's just leading to heartbreak and hurt and misery. And, and maybe, they're, maybe they're around you. Do you have any unchurched coworkers? Do you have any unchurched friends? Unchurched classmates? Maybe unchurched family? At Kingsway, the whole idea of what we're doing is making room for them, making room for people who don't know the Lord yet. And so the last question, where do I fit in? We're building a healthy, life-giving church that unchurched people would want to become a part of. Where do I fit in? Well, Paul wrote to the followers of Jesus. Paul wrote letters to lots of churches that he started, these gatherings of believers. And he wrote this one to the ones in Ephesus. And he said, and then once you guys have read it, send it to the next gathering, and then to the next gathering, to the next gathering. And we have it today. It says this in Ephesians 4, 16. He, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is what? Healthy and growing and full of love. It's what Jesus wanted as well, that the gathering would be healthy, a healthy place. Not too long after Jesus started the mission, this mission of this gathering of people, things went all off the rails. You know what happened? People got involved. You know, when there's people, there's usually problems. So what was meant to be this, just this gathering of people, this team, all of a sudden began to change because you know what happened? Men began to realize that I can gain control over people and I can make money off of people if I can sway this thing called church a little bit differently. And so men began to set themselves up as better than other men. And uh, that's not what Jesus was all about at all. When Jesus came, he was like, this is not about making big amounts of money. He tossed the, the tables in the... In the, in the temple, when he came here, he's like, that's not what this is all about. You're not to rip off people. You're to, here to help people. And then when they would say, well, you know, if you start, all the stuff would be focused on one man. Oh, the bishop, you know, the pastor, the, the, the prophet, or whoever it was. 
this, this focus to a man. That's not what Jesus came. There's only one person who's ever meant to be glorified in this church, and it's Jesus. He's the only one. It was never meant to be anything like that. He didn't come to start services or traditions or rules that we would have to follow. to be. A, he didn't come and say, hey, yeah, you can be a Christian. Just live out the Ten Commandments. He didn't say any of that. He gave us one commandment, and that was to love one another. And he came to bring one thing, which was relationship with God. If you as a Christian don't have walking, talking, daily relationship with God, you're missing out on the very best thing of what this was all meant to be. The chance to have relationship with the God of the universe. Incredible. Well, Paul reminds the new believers and each of us that each part has a, each person has a part to play in this thing called church. See, because what we've gotten into this, this is a thing called Rose, where it's like, hey, you know, you guys at the back, listen to the guy at the front, trying to fall asleep and go home at the end. It's bigger than that. I was reminded last week of a story that reminds each of us that we are all part of the mission. Um, President John F. Kennedy in 1961 went and visited the NASA um, headquarters, and he took a tour for the very first time. And while he was taking the tour, he met the janitor. And so as he was there, he asked the janitor what he did at NASA. And he was flabbergasted by the answer from the janitor because the janitor responded to him by saying, I'm helping put a man on the moon. He's like, this guy gets it. He realizes that it's not just about I'm sweeping the floor or I'm whatever. I'm helping to put a man on the moon. So when I ask about the mission that Jesus has given us, where do you fit in? I sit in a pew and I put money in a, in a, in a, in a bag that goes by. What is it? Where do you fit in? Because there's something about that, that when Jesus started this gathering, each part would play a part. Maybe you wonder, where? could I possibly do to help with the mission? Where could I possibly fit in? I, I, don't, I don't think I'm very spiritual. I don't think I know, I don't think I know what to do. Do you know what? I just, I, I want to, um, I guess, brag a little bit about some of the amazing people that are in this church. Uh, they're so, when I think about our volunteers, the people who serve here, you guys are crazy amazing because in most churches, they have very few volunteers, but here, there's tons. Here there's tons who are saying, hey, I want to take part. But what I want to remind us of is why we're doing it. Well, I thought so I could get invited to the volunteer dinner. That's not why. I, I know that's a pretty amazing thing, but it's bigger than that. You know what I think about? I think about our small group leaders. I think about people like Jackie and Beth and Liz and Gary and Ruben and Derek Wilhelmus and Lorraine and Mel and Jen and Lily. Names after names, and there's maybe more that each week are meeting with people, studying the word and, and, and uh, doing life together in small groups. Can I tell you that the best place to grow in your faith and to live out your faith and make real great meaningful friendships is in small groups? And I'd invite you to take part in joining a small group. Maybe it's with one of the team leaders. I think about Chris and, this, and the worship team, the musicians. Uh, you know, you're not just playing music. Maybe, maybe they thought that this morning. I just play on the band. You're not just playing on the band. You're creating an atmosphere where people, unchurched people, will have the chance to see, to see and to experience and to respond to the love of Jesus. That's what that's all about. That's why I always tell them, smile up there. Do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize what you're doing? A cafe, maybe you came in this morning and our team leaders, you know, Rhonda and Bob and Betty and the whole team that's out there, you're not just handing out brownies. That's not why you're there. You're not just uh, hand out brownies and make sure those kids don't get too many, right? That's not, that's not why you're doing it. 
What you're doing is creating an atmosphere for people, unchurched people, to come in and feel like, wow, this feels like home. That, this, wow, this doesn't feel like church. I didn't, this is not what I expected. Those people are smiling. That is free? Whoa! You know, the reason we started a cafe is for this reason, is that we know that when people eat, they talk. And that's why we let you eat back there and we don't let you eat during the service. But that's, that's the thought, that you would build relationship with one another. And I hear it so many times. It's the number one thing people say when they come here is, wow, it sure feels friendly. I love that about you guys. Because in every time that you do that, you are serving the mission of building a healthy, life-giving church. And then I think about our kids' church people. Oh, man, all the blue shirt crew from, you know, Amy and Nellie and others who are help lead that here. Maybe, you know, maybe when you serve in kids' church, maybe you think, I... <laughs> Yeah, it's my one Sunday to babysit little brats for free. It can feel like that. You know, but maybe that's the case. But can I just remind you of what you're really doing and why? You're raising up the next generation of Jesus followers who are going to help to change the world. That is what you're doing. You're looking into the eyes of children, people that Jesus loves incredibly, and showing them the love of Jesus. And for some of them, that's the only love that they experience uh, in a week. You're there to teach and, and help them work through real-world problems that they have and helping introduce them to Holy Spirit because there's no junior Holy Spirit. There's Holy Spirit that fills our children and gives them the ability to live out the things that they're going through on a daily basis. You're helping to build the best hour of the week for kids. That is what and why we are doing what we're doing down there. That's why we spend lots of money, and then when it floods, we'll spend lots more money to make sure that it's amazing for kids. And you know what? I love this because what I hear is from people who don't go here. There's people who watch from across the street and they're like, you guys must be doing something over there because I've never seen children running to get into church and crying when they have to leave. That is such, why? Why do we do that? Because we want our kids to love church. We want them to love this idea of the gathering so that at some point they will have the opportunity to know Jesus for themselves and to know and, and have a relationship with him. I love, our, I love our junior youth and youth leaders, Gary and Candace and Mel and Rhonda, people who are helping our, our young teens to have a faith of their own. I don't want our kids to grow up here, go to university and be like, oh, I don't know anything. You know, okay, that sounds good. I'll just follow that. Church, <laughs> Those are all fairy tales. We want to raise up strong young people that are going to make a difference in university as they go. Why? Because they know Jesus for themselves. They have a faith of their own, and you are a part of that. When you realize what you're doing and why, it's bigger. It's bigger than just hanging out and giving away pizza. And maybe, you know, the helping teams. I think about Dennis and, and Daryl and the people smiling at the door when you greet. You know, it's not just, it's not just, yeah, hey, I'm opening doors and stuff. You're making people feel welcome. You're helping find seats in the dark. That's mission impossible sometimes. But the whole idea of what you're doing is causing an opportunity for people to maybe know Christ. The cooks, the cleaning crew, the decorators, the counters, the event planners, all incredible, incredible people on mission. But don't forget why we're doing this. Because the what can become burdensome if you don't remember the why. And so I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for the opportunity to lead with you guys, to serve with you guys. You, some people like, uh, you know, you still try to call me Pastor Mark. Uh, the reason why I don't require or even uh, allow you to call me that is because I never want the table to tip like this. I never want there to be that thought, although there's some people who are important and there's others who aren't, because it's a we. We are in this together. We are on the mission together, the mission to make disciples and the mission to be disciples. And for some of you, you're like, 
you know, well, you guys have so many volunteers. You know, I, I don't think I fit in here. Can I tell you something? Kingsway is like a Guatemalan minivan. You know, when the question is, is there room? How many volunteers can you fit? Anybody know the answer to that? How many people can you fill, fit? Just one more. Right, so same here. We need and desire for you guys to be a part of serving with us and to be part of the mission here to change the world. So my question is, if you're a Jesus follower here this morning and all you do is sort of sit in a seat and listen to me talk, would you consider joining us on his mission to change the world? Would you consider joining us by joining one of those things or, or realizing, ah, I want to help make a church that, that unchurched people would love to be a part of, that my unchurched family would love to be a part of? Would you consider joining and helping us to build that healthy, life-giving church? Would you consider doing that? This morning, like, I'm not sure how I start. Well, there's cards behind Derek, the guy in the sound booth, if you need to. Or just come talk to me and say, hey, I just want to be a part of this. We would want for you to be that. And so I want to close with this. Because there are, there are people here this morning, you're, you're not Jesus followers. There's some of you here that maybe you call yourself a Christian, but it doesn't affect any other part of your life. And you didn't know that till now. You're sitting here and you're just like, oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm realizing something that I just didn't really know. And maybe you're here this morning and this is the first time you ever came to church. And you're like, I had no idea that this is what it was all about. Somebody just told me they were going to take me out for lunch and took me here first. You know, whatever, whatever it is that got you here. Um, I want to leave you with a couple thoughts, and I want to leave you with a couple verses, and I'll leave you the story. So this, this morning, maybe as Jesus followers, I'd encourage you to listen, because you may need be able to share this with others. I just, I'm so challenged by Matthew. Matthew, the tax collector, the guy we started with who wrote all this, a real person, his life was changed the day that Jesus stopped by his tax collecting booth. Jesus and the disciples were walking, and they stopped by his booth, and Matthew writes He writes out, these are the words that Jesus said to me as he walked by my booth. He said these words, come, follow me, be my disciple. And Matthew, he's like, the disciples are probably telling Jesus, what are you doing? Don't bring him with us. He's got cooties, right? We don't want him with us. He's like a sinner. Well, Matthew, which is really interesting, Matthew hadn't changed anything yet. Matthew just simply was sitting at his booth and Jesus said, hey, come follow me. We know that Matthew was still hanging out with the same people he's hanging out with because he's having a party with his other sinner friends and his other tax collector friends, and he invited Jesus and the disciples to his party. And Jesus came to the party, and everybody's like, Jesus, what are you hanging out with the scum for? And he's like, I didn't come for people who thought they have it all together. I came for people who know they're sick. He said that right in front of these guys. And they're all looking around like, what, what are you calling us sick? And then they look and they realize, oh yeah, you're right, we're sick, we know, and kind of high-five each other, right? We know, we know we've made decisions. We know we're sinners. We know we sold ourselves out to this thing. We know we've done all kinds of regrettable things to get to this place. We know we're sinners, and yet Jesus is calling us to come follow him. Matthew didn't change anything other than that he got up from his tax collector booth and he began to follow Jesus, and Jesus changed his life. And the invitation is the same for you this morning that maybe you feel similar to Matthew, that if you look at your life, it's a blur of regrettable decisions, that when you wonder whether there's a God, you just sort of sometimes hope there isn't, but then when you sort of think maybe there is, you're like, I don't think he's going to be too happy with me, and you feel flooded with guilt and shame as a result. It's one of the reasons you didn't even want to come to church, is you're like, I, just, I don't want to feel that guilt. I don't want to feel that shame. Can I tell you something? That Jesus doesn't feel that way about you. He doesn't, he's not here to judge you. He loves you incredibly, and he's asking you the same thing he asked Matthew. Hey, come, 
Follow me. Come be my disciple because what I got is good. And what you have, you can, you can keep it if you want, but come. If you want to, come follow me. And maybe you're on the other side. Maybe your life seems perfect. Everything's going so well. But if the TBH, you know, to be honest, there's some things in your background that you look at and like, those are some decisions I'm not too proud of. You might call them mistakes, but he calls them sin. And it sort of, it separates. And you think, well, if I, if I do really good from here on in, I can make up for that. But we know that we can't. He's telling you the same thing. Come, follow me, be my disciples. It's the same way that Jesus stopped at Matthew's tax collector booth. He's stopping at your life today in this moment and asking you that question. If any of you, I don't care if you're a teenager, I don't, if you're 80, if anyone wants to, if you want to be a Jesus follower, come, follow me. The rest of your life will be incredible will be incredibly changed. Matthew chapter 16, he finishes with this. If you try to hang on to your life, is what Jesus said. If you try and control it and you try and make it, you'll lose it. You see that happening all over the place. In the media today, men who thought they could control their lives and control all the people around them just fallen one after another in misery. He says, but if you give up your life, if you give up what you think is controlling uh, for your life for my sake, you'll save it. And he says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus asking. He says, at the end of life, when life's all over and you realize, wow, I did all this, I gained all this, but I lost me. He says, what would you be willing to trade to get you back? And he knows the answer to the question, because if we ask you this morning, would you trade half the money that you made in your lifetime to get you back? Probably say, yeah. Would you trade all the money? Yeah, because my me is worth more than all the money. Would you trade all the cars and toys and houses? Yeah. Would you trade all the experiences you thought were just going to bring joy to your life and didn't? I'll trade all that if I could just get me back. And he says, you know, it's that same thought that what would you gain? You can gain the whole world. You can chase the whole world. But if you lose your soul, was it worth it? And I'm going to leave you with this story. The story of a rich man with a huge and valuable art collection in his mansion. He was really rich. And this rich man had a son. And uh, his son would often leave the house and go just down the street and hang out at the corner with this homeless man who always frequented that area. And uh, they would talk, and, and they, the son would bring him food, and, and they actually built a pretty good friendship. And the two of them would talk about stuff, and the son would tell this, this homeless man about all the art in his dad's house, this incredible artwork that he had. And so uh, over time, after a little while, the son was killed in a car accident, and he didn't come to visit the homeless man anymore. And, and, and the homeless man heard about it. And he's like, oh, he, he knew that he, didn't, he couldn't do anything to, for the father. And so he thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to draw him a picture. And so he found some paper and he found some things, that, some colors that he could use. And he, he, he hand drew this picture of a portrait of the son, of this man's son. And he, he walked up to the gates of the mansion and said, can I go give this to the father? And the, the security guard at the gate said, no, you're not allowed in here. And he says, well, I have, a, I have something. I have a gift for him. And the security guard looked at it and sort of smirked as he looked at it. He's like, what's that? He's like, it's a picture of his son. I know his son died. I'd like to give this to him. And so the security guard folded up, put it in his pocket, said, okay, I'll take care of it. Later on, he gave it to the father, and the father looked at this picture. And that's all we kind of know after that. But then years later, the, the man, the father, he died as well. There was a sign posted that the art was all going to be auctioned off on a certain date and time. Well, the homeless man came and he saw it and he's like, he never had a chance to see the art. He'd heard about it but never seen it. And so he cleaned himself up as best as he could and he went in on the day of the auction. And so there was all of these rich, wealthy art connoisseurs there in him. 
and he sat down with them and as he watched and they were all just ogling over all this art and thinking, wow, you can't wait to buy it. And they couldn't wait for the auction to start and the auctioneer finally came up to the front and they were all just anticipating this moment and he bangs the gavel and he says, okay, the auction is now going to start but I have one thing that the, the, the owner of the art had stipulated that before we... Before this auction starts, or at the very beginning of the auction, there's one piece of art that has to be auctioned off first. And they pulled back the, the black cloth, and there was his picture. The picture that he had drawn of the sun was right there on that, the easel. And he couldn't believe it. And neither could anybody else. Because as they looked at it, they like, piece of junk paper. Like, just get to the good stuff. And so the auctioneer started asking for bids and asking for bids. Nobody's bidding anything on this thing. Finally, it gets so low that the homeless man reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a handful of change and he counts his change and he bids all of it just to buy his own picture back. He buys his own picture back and um, the auctioneer slams the gavel again says there was one more stipulation and he reads it out. He says, the owner of the art collection says that whoever buys the first painting of the sun gets the whole collection. The auction is now closed. Thought, what a fantastic story, but it's even better than that because that is actually true about us. That Jesus, the Father, says that whoever takes the Son gets it all. That when you take the Son, when you take Jesus, you get the way, you get the truth, you get the life. When we think, oh, you know, we got to follow God because it's going to be boring and horrible, he's saying it's actually better. And if anybody wants to be my follower, take the Son. You'll get the way, the way to live, the way to understand the way to eternal life, you'll get the truth. You'll know the truth about him. You'll know the truth about you, and you will have life, real life, life that matters, life that's meaningful. His call out to you this morning is, come, follow me, be my disciple. And that's to every person in this place, including me. How will you answer that? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you that they are life, that you gave an incredible price for us to bring us into relationship with you that we might experience real, real life and eternal life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray for every person in this place, Holy Spirit, that you know <coughs> the words that they need to hear this morning. Father, I've done my best to share. I pray that as they go home with these thoughts, that you'd continue to speak to their hearts, that, you, that they would have courage to take those steps and say, yeah, pick me. I want to follow. I want to be your disciple. May their lives be changed. And may the lives around them be changed as we Live out your mission for this thing called church. Thanks for designing this thing called church. Thanks for this family, the incredible blessing to me. I pray that you bless them for that as they're out in their uh, everyday lives this week shining for you. I love you. It's because of you. It's in your awesome name I pray. Amen.